Okay, let's get this web conference underway. We'll start with a karakia. Punahit pot po firimarama. Lumakia to al te al patatangata. Tatai kiroma, tatai kiraro, tatai ahiro, hemie, hue, maie. Kia ora tatai, hari mai, and welcome to the backyard biodiversity field trip. Um, it's wonderful to have you along in our Zoom meeting room this morning. I am the Learns Kayarahi for Shelley Takawingwa, and lucky enough to join both Mahuru and Rud when we were filming in Kirikiriroa for the, the field trip. But right now, I'm back home talking to you from Otipoti, Dunedin, or just north of Dunedin. Um, and I'd like to welcome along our experts and they can tell us a little bit more about themselves. We've got Mahuru from Manaki Whenua and Rud the Bugman. Mahuru, we'll start with you. Morena, tēnā tātou katoa. Uh, ko pūtauaki, ko mauaunga maunga, ko ohini matro, ko waikaraunga awa, ko ngāti pūkiko, ko ngai tamarawa ho ngā hapū, ko ngāti awa, ko ngāti iranginui ngā iwi. Mahuru Wilcox, um, lovely to see all your faces out there. <laughs> We're in lockdown here in Whaingaroa Raglan, um, so I've been working from home um, and I am a wetland ecologist um, and I work with Māori all over the country um, as part of my job at Manaki Whenua Landcare Research. Kia ora. Kia ora, thanks Mahuru and Rude. Hello, kia ora, everybody. My name is Ruth Kleinpaster, and I am—I uh, live in Christchurch, just up the road from you guys. Um, I came originally from Indonesia, where I lived as a little baby, and then I went to the Netherlands, which hasn't got a mountain, so I haven't got a manga, and the river is really polluted because it came from Germany. Sorry, I just thought I'd mention that, and uh, and so we went to New Zealand, which was a lot nicer. And Aotearoa is my is my home. It's lovely to be here, and um, and what I'd like to do is go outside, and go exploring, and that is basically what my life is about. And when it's when I have to be inside, this is my little happy place. It's my office, which is a little bit like a museum, actually. I just realized what a museum this is. But that's another story. We'll talk about that later. And I love to have a chat to you guys at Ellington. It's absolutely wonderful to see you all. And it was, I must say, just quickly, it was really cool to work with Shelley and, uh, and with Andrew on the field trip. Because I think biodiversity rocks there. Kia thanks Rude. And if you haven't checked out the videos that we did with Mahuru and Rude, please do, because there's lots and lots of great information in there. And you get to see lots of critters and plants and, and wetlands and nahiri, all sorts that you can explore in those videos and in the Google Earth tour, so do check that out. But a big welcome to our speaking school, Allenton School and Ash Burton. It's wonderful to have you with us. Um, and is there anyone there that would like to introduce your class? Sorry, just getting our speakers organised. We're right now. All good. Hi, I'm Georgia. Um, we're room three from Allenton Squish Burden, South Island. Kia ora. Thanks, Georgia. Awesome. And is there anyone there that wants to tell us about why you're taking part in this field trip, why you're studying biodiversity? 
My name is Olivia and we've been um, doing how the world works and um, about natural disasters, rock formations and our ecosystem around Allington Awesome. Thank you so much, Olivia. Yeah, really good that you're looking at the, the big picture and how things work and, and biodiversity is fundamental to that. It's all part of it. So well done. And I'm really looking forward to hearing the answers to your wonderful questions. I can see you've really thought about those. So we'll get started with those. Um, can we have someone to ask question number one, please? Hi, my name's Kondwani and my question is for Bugman. When did you catch your first bug? Ah. Thanks, oh, Kondwani. my goodness. That's a good one, Gondwani. That's a, You know what? You know what you did with your question? I'm an old fella, you see. And, and, and as I said, I was born in Indonesia and I was raised in Holland in the Netherlands. And I used to be a bird watcher when I was seven years old. In fact, guess what I found? My really old binoculars from when I was seven. See how they're worn? I've taken them everywhere into the forests, to the coasts, to watch seabirds. And I went into meadows in the Netherlands and watched the kiwit, which is the, the, all the, the, a favorite bird in the Netherlands. And so I've always been a bird man. And then I once went traveling, that was when I was a student, and I went to Sri Lanka where I saw a bee eater catch a dragonfly in midair. Now, you know how quick dragonflies are, right? They go like, <laughs> and that bird was going, and got them like that. And then I thought, so birds, or some of them at least, eat insects. That's cool. There is a connection between birds and insects. I actually want to know a little bit more about insects. So I started working with insects. It was just a hobby. In fact, I did this. I made, you, nobody's ever seen this in their lives, except for my wife and me. This is a box of all the insects that I caught in the Netherlands when I was at university. And the very first one I caught was this one. I'm going to take it out only for you guys. I never do this in my life. Hang on. Put the box back. It's very fragile. Go sit there. Yeah, guys. And here I have what we call the great blue butterfly from Europe. There it is. Now, it's faded quite a bit, but it's. Believe me, it's like our blue butterflies that you have around Ashburton and Christchurch and the North Island and everywhere else. But this blue butterfly has got caterpillars that do not feed on plants. When they are born, they go and sit on a branch or on a grass, uh, whatever, piece of grass, and wait for ants to come. And then what they do is they say, they say nothing because they can't speak really, but they've got little little glands on their body that excrete sweet honeydew. And the ants go like, hmm, that caterpillar is tasty because it poops out sugar. Hmm. Why don't we take that to the nest 
and feed it all sorts of vegetation. And then what we get, we get the sugar in return and ants love sugar. And that means that the ants literally raise the babies of this particular European butterfly. So when I heard that story, I thought, I must see what that butterfly looks like. And that was the very first one I ever caught. But what it taught me was that this butterfly relies on ants as nurses or nannies to, re to rear, to breed the young ones. It's a little bit like what cuckoos do when they lay their eggs in the nest of another bird. In this case, the ants pick up the larvae or the caterpillars of that butterfly. And I thought that was such a cool story. That set off my whole career as the bug man. So there's your answer. There's all your connections. And I love exactly that about biodiversity. Awesome. Kia ora, dude. And the more you look at insects, the more you find those those great stories of interconnection and, and things that you don't necessarily expect. And that's why it's so cool to look into yeah. the diverse range of stuff that we have living around us. And also, also, Shelley, that is why education with bugs is so good. Because you do all these little things like names and where they occurred and geography and sugars. What is sugar? It's a chemical. That's I love that. This is so cool. Awesome. Thank you. And question number two, please. Um, who was asking question number two, please? Sophia. Ah, Sophia. 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 Yeah, great. My name's Sophia. And are there any poisonous bugs that are native to New Zealand? Absolutely. Absolutely, Sophia. Number one, I'll give you number one and then I'll give you number two. But I hope I don't die when I do number two. This is, <laughs> this is a little container that sits on my desk. And if I try and get it near the microscope or near the camera, you might see it's a spider. And it's got a red stripe over its back. Cutable. Yes, it's a cutable spider. Yes, it is. And, and, and the katipo spider lives in the dunes of New Zealand, where it feeds on, on, the, on little moths and things like that that are getting caught in the... Oh, can you see it better like this? There, oh, yes. You are getting a really cool view of one of our rare poisonous spiders, the katipo. I love them. Anyway, so that's one of them. The other one... And you are lucky you're in Ellington and not in, say, Auckland and places like that. The other one, I'll just grab another box. This is the box you may have seen on the video. Here we go. Take the lid off. Da, da, da. The other one that I always love is this centipede. Can you see that thing? Big. That, no, that's a, that's a small one. This is a baby. I have centipedes of that that are twice that size. They are six, seven inches long in the North Island. And these guys do not have a sense of humor. When you pick them up, they turn around and they bite your finger. And when that happened to me, when that happened to me, I was paralyzed for two and a half hours right here on my hand. I could see the pump in its head, pumping the toxins into, through the fangs, into my skin. And my arm went like, Whoa. 
scary. <laughs> Just one little credit like oh, that. Sorry, that was long. Anyway, for two and a half hours, I couldn't even pick up a pencil. So there are things in New Zealand that you have to be rather careful with. Now, to be quite honest, I do, oops, I'll just put my box back. I do happen to have a live one of those centipedes in this container. Now, if everything goes wrong, I'll have to sign off and go to hospital, okay? So if, if, if things go really wrong, I can't do much at all. I have to go. I just want to see where it is. Oh, it's hiding underground. That's good. You know what? Maybe at, the, maybe at the end of this Zoom meeting, I'll see if I can get it out without getting bitten. Because, you know, I always have to have paramedics standing by when I do these things, because it's not good when you get done by one of them. It hurts. It hurts. And that's why the other one is now in my box. Just as well. Yes, it always makes me thankful that I live in Aotearoa and not Australia when I'm out in the backcountry exploring because there's probably less things that will kill me here right. in Australia. That's and Mahuru, right. we've got a few poisonous plants as well, haven't we? The one that I was thinking of when you were describing that centipede is um, the Oonga Oonga. It's a, a nest stinging nettle and it reminded me of a story we were spotlighting at night for native fish um, down around um, Mangakino, which is um, south of Raglan. And so, of course, you're in the dark with a spotlight trying to find our nocturnal fish. And I slipped on a rock and reached out and grabbed the nearest branch and it was Oonga Oonga. And my whole arm was paralyzed mm. and tingling and so sore I didn't sleep all night in my tent mm. <laughs> and it was hot and yeah really painful mm. and that was the first and last experience I've had with Oonga Oonga um, but yeah it's an amazing plant you just don't want to be traipsing around in the dark try <laughs> slipping over on rocks grabbing onto it yeah so that's the one I, I that comes to mind Thanks, Mahuru. So it just kind of reminds us that it's really important to be able to identify different living things and know a bit about them so that uh, we can take care of them and so that they don't take care of us in a bad way. <laughs> That's right. Hey, and, and circle back to the original thing that the kids want to know how the planet operates and how the operations manual of planet Earth works. Nature does a lot with chemistry. There's a lot of chemical stuff going on, whether it's poisons from centipedes or the defense mechanism of onga onga and things like that. Very, very clever. Indeed. And question number three now, please. Who was it from, sorry? Lavana. Uh, yeah. Hi, my name is Lavana. What do you like about studying wetlands? Kia ora, thanks, Lavana. Huru. Kia ora, Lavana. Thanks for that question. Um, well, there's lots of things I love studying about wetlands, but one of them is that the animals that live in wetlands are really secretive. So you never know what you're going to find. Often when you go to a wetland, the birds are really, really shy. 
and they'll hide from you. So you have to be really quiet and patient. Um, yeah, so it's always a bit of a mystery. The same as our fish too. They like to hide in wetlands, either in the plants um, or in the mud. And I'm not sure if you have seen or seen the video, but you can see how thick that rope or that flax, all those grasses and things are. So it involves um, setting fish traps at nighttime and you leave them overnight and it's always the most exciting thing going in the morning and picking up your traps and seeing what's inside. And I was thinking about that as Rude was talking about his first bug and what actually got me into studying wetlands was learning about our native eels, our tuna. And I'm not sure if you guys know much about them, but they are the most amazing creatures. And unfortunately, I can't bring one out of a box and show you. <laughs> Um, as it's very slimy and it would be squiggling around on my office floor. But our native eels actually migrate um, when they're adults. So when they're between anywhere between 40 and 120 years old, that is old for a fish, they swim down our rivers from our wetlands down the rivers and they go out to sea and they swim without eating um, all the way to a little location somewhere near Tonga, so out in the Pacific. And they spawn um, in the trench of Tonga, so really, really deep. And then their little tiny babies are swept back to Aotearoa in the ocean current. <laughs> and they return to the stream that their, one of their parents came from. How amazing is that? When I learned that, because funnily enough, I actually used to be a bird watcher too. And my first job was tracking migrating birds. So I went from a bird watcher as well to a wetland ecologist, um, all because I found out about our native eels. So when those baby eels come back, they end up being about as long as your little finger and they swim upstream and that's where they live and grow for between 40 and 120 years before they swim back to the trench of Tonga to, to migrate and to breed. Now, to me, that is mind blowing because moving from fresh water to salt water, they have to change their skin, their eyes. It's, they go through a whole transformation to be able to do that huge long journey. And of course, it's only a once in a lifetime journey. The adults don't come back. Um, yeah, so that's what got me into wetlands. And when I find eels and our native fish, which also migrate out to sea, I just, yeah, it blows my mind. And I just have such respect for those animals. Um, yeah, so that's what I love about wetlands. Fantastic. Hey, hey Mahuru, do, do those little eels, those little elvers, do they have maps? so they can get back to Aotearoa? Well, lucky for them, the ocean currents sweep them, so they don't have to do much swimming. No, no, but I mean, they need to navigate. Oh, yeah. How do they know which river to go up? So they think, again, this is not confirmed, but they think that every river and stream has its own chemical composition in the water. So it's every water body is different depending on the soil in the landscape, the types of vegetation, the other animals living there, 
all give a river or stream a unique type of water. And so the eels can, and no one knows how, tell what waters they came from and they'll return there. Wow. See, that's how the planet works, eh? <laughs> I was going to and say, we've been watching the northern, uh, the, the um, Royal Albatross down at Tauroa Heads all year. And, of course, they, they disappear and then they come back after five years to breed too. So yeah. very similar life story, life cycle. Nice. It's amazing. And because the parents die, obviously, after spawning, it's not like they can tell their babies where they've come from. So it's, it's all internal. So it's an incredible mystery, really. Mm, the wonders of nature. Excellent. And question number four now, please. Lorica. Lorica. Hi, my name is Lorica. Um, why do caterpillars turn into butterflies? Good question. Good question. That is a good question because some turn into moths, you see. And, 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 but they are all the same group of insects, I suppose. Look, think about it this way. Have you ever seen a picture of yourself when you were in your mummy's tummy? No? It's a really interesting thing because you look as a baby quite different when you're very small and developing inside. And basically, that is something that insects do as well. The young versions of the insects look quite different from the old versions. And they do different things out there in nature. They don't live inside the tummy and all that. Sort of, I know that. But the point is, they look different. And so do we when we're really, really young. Now, what caterpillars do is they graze, let's say, plant material. And they make little holes and leaves. And they grow, 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 turn into chrysalis. Right? Remember butterflies? And out of the chrysalis, you get a moth or a butterfly. Now, it's the moth or a butterfly that's got the wings. They can fly to find a friend. They can fly, they can fly to find a mate. They can lay eggs on a new host plant, a new food plant. And basically, the cycle continues. So those butterflies have a completely different cycle of life from a lot of other things. But the cool thing is that each stage of their development does different things. When you're a caterpillar, you've got to be careful not to be eaten by a bird, for instance, or a lizard. If you're a butterfly, you also have to be careful not to be eaten by a butterfly or by a bird or something else. But it is in a totally different atmosphere. A caterpillar is usually quite quiet on a plant, sitting on a leaf, can't run very fast, can't fly away, totally different thing so it is to do with ecosystem services and it is completely merged in the life cycle of that particular creature mm, and it's really neat to think about the the role that different bugs and critters and plants and animals and things play in the ecosystem and whether that changes throughout their life cycle mm. thanks Ruth. and question five please from matilda Hi, I'm Matilda, and my question is, when do we have to start thinking about saving our biodiversity? That's a really, that is the most important question of the, in the world. 
and, and the reason is it's the same with climate change. It's the same with the fact that we are losing our biodiversity. There is stuff going extinct very, very fast at the moment in the world. So the answer to your question is, when do you start have to think about looking after your biodiversity? The time is yesterday. Five minutes to ten. I would start yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> and that and that is so important. So, Allenton School, go down your uh, what is it? Your Walnut Avenue, and you go to Ashburton Domain. Go into there, roll over an old big log or a big branch, and look at the biodiversity there, and look what it does. Everything under that ro rolled away log is helping to get that log back into food for the rest of the trees in the Ashburton domain. The moment these creatures are no longer there, things go horribly wrong on our planet. And it's up to all of us, not just you, but all of us to look after our biodiversity and make sure it is healthy and it stays going and alive. Here is a fun fact, which is not funny at all. Every day, we lose 150 species of organisms to extinction. Every day, 150 gone. We need to stop that trend now. Indeed. And you guys taking part in this field trip, you are making a, a step towards that because you're learning about it and hopefully looking in your own backyard and schoolyard and things and thinking about, okay, what lives there and what impact do I have on those things and how can I help them? Mm -hmm. Because there's all sorts of things that you can be doing and you've probably already been doing a few of them. You just haven't considered it until now. Maybe not. So thinking about how you can look after your biodiversity, your own backyard first. And Mahuru, you've been doing a bit of work on the biodiversity of, of the wetland near you. We have, and there's lots of things that you can do to help with our biodiversity. It can be as small or as big as you like, um, or that you have time for or resources for. So one of the things that we're doing on our family farm, which is along the edge of the wetland, is we're starting to fence off the wetland so to keep the wild goats out of the wetland which eat the plants the native plants um, the other thing we're doing is we're just starting up some trapping so we want to get rid of um, the rats the possums the stoats and the wild cats unfortunately because we're out in a rural area, people from town will often come out and dump their cats um, or people don't um, neuter their animals. So they breed and they don't know what to do with the kittens and just basically leave them. And because there's so many birds and bugs and lizards and things out there, um, they just, yeah, they, they do really well, which is what we don't want. <laughs> no. So one of the things we're working on is setting up a little trapping network um, one of the things about our wetland birds is they're not very good flyers. So they really use the thick vegetation, the plants to hide. Um, but as we know, things like stoats and cats have a really good sense of smell. So unfortunately, um, the plants don't do much for those birds and they are often um, caught and killed by um, those introduced pests. 
So all it takes is getting our community together and everyone doing their little bit. We can't track the whole wetland. It's 225 hectares. It's enormous, as um, Shelley and Rude will remember. Um, so all we're doing is our little patch. And as uh, the neighbours talk to each other, more people want to get involved and more people want to do trapping on their farms. So eventually we hope that the whole wetland will be trapped by everyone um, who lives alongside it. So it may feel sometimes like you're not doing very much, but every little bit counts if everyone's doing stuff. So the more excited you get about biodiversity and tell your friends and tell your family about it, the more people want to do to save biodiversity as well. And together we can all make a big difference. So don't feel disheartened. Um, yeah, a little bit can do a lot. Excellent, really good message there. Thanks Mahuru. And question number six now, please. Um, Ava. Hi, my name is Ava and what insects that help with biodiversity are known to be in Red Canterbury. Ah, so this is very specific about your area. All right. Now, I've just been thinking about this. I'm really very, what I find really very important is to look at your local situation. And I'll give you some examples of Ashburton in a moment. But the very first thing I would do is Go and have a look in a piece of forest or somewhere where you are and see if you can find any millipedes like these. These are the creatures that live in the soil and literally shred all the leaves and all the stuff that falls down, oopsie, actually from trees and fall onto the ground. And they start literally recycling and decomposing things that once lived. So the very first thing you have to look at is the creatures that, de that, that, that surface decomposition of everything that once lived. So if a leaf falls down or a branch falls down or a fruit falls down or a flower falls down, somebody has to get rid of it and turn it back into food for the next generation of forest. That's important. You can do that any way you like. You can do it in your, in your local Ashburton domain. It could be any way you like. That's important. The second thing is you quite often have to look for things that are, if you like, the predators, the top, the top predators of your environment. Now, you may have seen these things before, but I have here a beetle that is from Canterbury. Ow, and it's biting like heck. Look at that. It's, look at this. Look, here we go. Vicky, you see that? Ah! This is a beetle that keeps the balance wherever you are. And it lives also in, in underground, under logs and under whatever, that sort of stuff. This is the top predator that rules them all. It is great. So these sort of things really need, and they smell too when they bite because they, they fart on your fingers and say, this is what I taste like. You want to eat me? This is what I smell like. This is what I taste like. Really cool. So you can actually smell them from miles away. That's one of them. If you want to be more specific, go to your Hakateri River, to your Ashburton River. You know the bridge. You know exactly what I mean. Let's go to the bridge and you come from Ellington and you go south. On the left-hand side of the bridge is all this gravel in the river. And at the moment, 
the black-billed gulls are breeding there. They've just started. And black-billed gulls are the rarest gulls on the planet living at your town. What can you do? Put traps around the river, making sure that no cats, no rats, no possums, and no stoats get to those nests because those gulls are totally uh, powerless to do anything about these creatures, these predators, these introduced predators. These are some of the examples of looking after your biodiversity right there and then. And it might be insects, it might be birds. Go up Mount Summers and see what you can find in the forest. Go to Mount Peel, not far from you, and see what you can find there. Do some inventory work and identify what you find and learn how they contribute to all the ecosystem services that Shelley was talking about just before. Those are some of the things that I would do if I live in Ashburton. Mm, you're very lucky living in Ashburton because you've actually got heaps of biodiversity not, not far from you, not counting in your own backyard. We yes. did some field trips up um, in the lakes area around Lake Heron and, and so forth, and there was heaps of biodiversity. So you can check out um, wetland biodiversity field trips from the past on Learn's website and you'll see all sorts of critters that you can look for up in that area. So, yeah, surrounded by biodiversity. Oh, oh Shell, just totally something, totally left field, guys. You can also go to the beach nearby. You know the beach? You've been, I know you've been there. And what do you find on the beach sometimes? These things. Yeah. They, they feel and touch like they're made of plastic. They're not. These are the egg cases of the ghost shark. Wow. A ghost shark. So what I try to do is get those off the beach near here, which is not far from you. And I thought, I'll put them in the bath, see if they hatch. <laughs> I don't want to use your bathtub. <laughs> ah, so there's a, just a few things that you can do to discover your biodiversity. And we're up to question seven, please, from Bianca. My name is Bianca and my question is, where can you find the best example of sustainable biodiversity in New Zealand? Oh, and we might ask both our experts about this because they might have different opinions. Go, Mahuru, have a go. <laughs> well, I was thinking about this question and two examples came to mind. The first one is our offshore islands. Oh. Um, our conservation islands offshore but unfortunately they're very difficult to get to and you're not actually allowed to go onto them <laughs> so the reason why these islands are the best examples of sustainable biodiversity is that they don't have those introduced pests that we're talking about so it allows that natural balance um, that we have in our environment to flourish without the impacts of those pests the other example, if you can't get to an offshore island, the other example is our inland islands, our mainland islands, um, or our fence sanctuaries. So 
I'm not too sure what you have in the South Island around fence sanctuaries, but I'm maybe Rude can can tell you. But up in the if you ever come up to the North Island, we have Maunga Tautari Ecological Island um, here in the Waikato. Um, and also if you're in Wellington, they have Zealandia there as well, right in the city. Um, so that's an amazing place to go to. Um, so they all have really great examples of our native insects and birds and plants without the impacts of deer, pigs, um, stoats, mm. possums, rats, cats, all those furry creatures that we don't want. Um, yeah, so those are probably some of the best examples I could think of. I think that's a lovely suggestion, though, because you have to start... See, the, the fact that biodiversity is in trouble makes a lot of people, enthusiasts like all of us, but also the Department of Conservation and so on and so forth, and the, the Wetland Trust and people like that, they actually start to um, look at restoring New Zealand. So restoring it back to what it once belonged, what it once was. And there's two ways you can do that. One, you can put a fence around it and make sure that you get rid of all the possum stoats and rats and things like that within the area, like you said. And Orokanui in Dunedin is a good example yeah. for that. Or restoring an island like a quail island in Littleton Harbour, which now has all sorts of wetter on it and all sorts of other lo lovely, gorgeous little things that have been put back on that island. And we know there are no predators there because they've been totally eradicated from there. It's places like that, indeed, the mainland islands where you restore your habitat. But hang on, nothing is going to stop you in Allenton from trapping rats and mice around your school ground from replanting all the native trees and shrubs and plants that used to be in Ashburton before people started making a city there and restoring the forest as it once was and hoping that Kereru and Tui and Bellbird and all the native birds and, and lizards and butterflies come back to your school ground that is something you can start doing now. Indeed. And uh, I think Barry's just shared something there in the chat room. Um, you can share your photo of a living thing. So um, be part of the, the challenge for this field trip. So that encourages you to go out and discover your own biodiversity. And in doing so, you're probably going to find ways to look after it as well. So put up your hand if you have discovered um, something in your own backyard or schoolyard since doing this field trip. So you've been out investigating biodiversity. Anyone done that? I oh, know I have. I've got examples here of, of things that I've been finding because I've been looking more closely at biodiversity. <laughs> Ollie's if class, Dev. Yeah, Ollie's yep. class all here. St. Jared's, um, which I think is in Alexandra, you have. That's wonderful. And hopefully Allenton School will go away and do that um, as a result of, of this conversation and the field trip. So well done, guys. It's been awesome to talk to you today. I know we have spent a lot of time chatting about biodiversity. Um, if you have got some burning questions, we've probably only got time for one or two, but you can type those in the chat pod. 
um, our listening score might be um, wanting to do that. We'll just hang hang around for another couple of minutes if you've got any extra questions. But thanks very much, Ellington School. Great questions this morning. So and you might want to look at what I took a photo of in my backyard and that Rood and Mahara, Mahara can't answer Oh, it, yes, I can see it. You I can see that yellow. butterfly there. But Admiral, oopsie. Oops. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> okay, it's a yellow admiral, but trouble. that's not its Maori name. No, it's not. And Here we go. It's not its um, Latin name. Vanessa Itea is its Latin name, but its Maori name. <laughs> sorry, sorry. You're right. Vanessa, Vanessa Itea, that's right. Beautiful thing, actually. So I just wanted to show you what my centipede looks like, by the way. Can you see it? Oh, here it is. Oh, hang on, hang on. Oh, it's loose in my office. I can't have this. Get out of here. Got him. Whoa. He keeps escaping. Oh, not again. Oh, no. Oh, no. Going the wrong way. Go get out of my computer. Get out of my computer. Sorry, sorry, Barry. I didn't need to do this. Oh, get in there. Oh, little, little. Where's the lid? Where's the lid? Quick, quick. Got him. Yay. Got him. We don't want the bug man getting paralyzed on our web conference. That would be awesome. Well, it doesn't look like we've got any questions, I don't think. But yeah. thank you very oh, much. I've got, to... I've got a question. Yep. I've got a Far question away. for Ellington School and all the other schools that are watching. What are you going to do about biodiversity at your school tomorrow? How are you going to raise the bar and literally put a challenge out for all the other schools to bring back the biodiversity? to your place. Think about it. Mm, what a great challenge. And I'd be really interested to see how you go with that. So do share your, your work, your ideas, your mahi. It'd be really cool to know what you've been up to. Well, kia ora koutou. Thanks very much, everybody, for joining us this morning. It's been wonderful to hear all your, your questions. And remember, we're going to have another web conference tomorrow at 9.30, so you can um, join us again for that. I know St. Gerard's is going to be asking some questions tomorrow, so looking forward to that. But thanks, Ellington School. And yeah, get out there, explore your biodiversity and find ways to look after it. I think Ellington want to say, Ellington want to say thanks, I think. Thank Good stuff. Thank you for having this web conference for us. Oh, a pleasure. pleasure. No problem at all. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you enjoy checking out all this stuff. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. And we'll see you tomorrow. tomorrow. And that brings our Learns Web Conference to an end. Thanks, everyone.